welcome to the Air Buds Podcast. It's a podcast. It's still happening. My name's Jamel. My name's Peter. My name is Mike. Happy basketball, guys. How's it going? Oh, man. So much news in the basketball world since we last talked, Mike, when we took our basketball show and rated America's best sandwiches. We're just pumped with basketball news here. You know what, Peter? I'm not even playing that game with you, dude. Well, uh, the last the last playoff spot has come down to the last day of the season, and you're gonna you're gonna grin at me through your computer TV screen and act like there's no basketball news. We will Sorry, get to NBA the WNBA news. right there's now. There's no NBA yeah. news. Let me be very correct. Clear. W absolutely in its news. own stratosphere of news and entertainment for sure. But I think if you're coming here for um, gentlemen's basketball, like what are you doing, man? Go on vacation. Take a walk. Turn on Sunday ticket. Peter, we you know? want listeners. Read a book. We, we want Am people right? to, to like this show. Uh, we have a guest. You can chime in whenever you want. We will introduce you. But yeah. Uh, Read don't a feel... book. But Peter mentioned uh, that we, we ranked <laughs> the uh, America's Best Sandwiches, and that's what we did on our Patreon. Okay. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash pod and subscribe, you can hear uh, we did the NBA sandwich playoffs, which uh, we took every city from the okay. uh, from this year's playoffs and we, you know, seeded them and we pitted them against each other. And uh, you, know, you got to listen if you want to hear what, what the winner is. I, 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 you know, that's fascinating because I have very strong sandwich. I have very strong, strong sandwich opinions. Um, you know, my dad is a uh, kind of turned me on to the New York deli scene. So, yeah, I have very, very ardent opinions about sandwiches. Um, if I weren't here to uh, talk about my book, I could probably spend an hour and a half uh, defending the, uh, the Turkey Reuben or the Rachel, which I think is uh, my favorite sandwich. So, I don't know yeah. what the Rachel is. What is the Rachel? You know how you get a, a Reuben, which is, I think, corned beef, sauerkraut, a Thousand Island Russian, Russian dressing. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the Rachel is, is that with, it's with Turkey coleslaw, I think uh Munster cheese or Swiss and, and Russian dressing. And it's, it's far superior to the, to the, um, it's far superior to the, Ooh, to the Reuben in my opinion. Sounds a little healthier also with the Turkey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, yeah. I, I'm, I, I don't know if you can tell from me sitting behind my desk, but I'm, I'm in tip top shape. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I only, I only. I only want the. I, I'm always looking for a, for a dietary uh, a, a diet uh, shortcut. So yeah, your abs look great. Um, thank you, thank yeah. you. I thought it was just going to be a Reuben with like a Jennifer Aniston wig on it. That's it. It's with like the haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I'm look. I have my hair is long enough where I can, I can get the Rachel if I wanted to, but I won't. So. <laughs> well, if uh, you listeners want to hear our sandwich rankings, go to uh, patreoncom pod, Subscribe. Uh, also, uh, if you can't help us out with that, you can help us out another way, which is going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star review. Helps us climb the charts, get new listeners, blah 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 And with that, we are done with business, right? Any other plugs we were supposed to do? Uh, yeah, I've got a timeshare to sell. <laughs> I'm going right. to need 30 minutes, though. We'll do it later. <laughs> okay, yeah. Just, we'll put it at the... We'll tack it at the end yeah, of the yeah. episode. Thanks. Um... Guys, we look. You've heard him already. He told us all about the Rachel. Uh, we got a guest today. Uh, he's a writer whose work you may have seen in Sports Illustrated, the New York Times, heard of it, uh, Vice, many others. Uh, he recently published a book about the NBA's journey uh, to media dominance, 
called uh, From Hang Time to Prime Time. That's available where all fine books are sold. Please welcome to the show, Pete Croato. Yeah, thanks, guys. Pleasure to be on here. Pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, Pete, what's your team? You're, you said you're in Ithaca, New York. You're wearing a Canadian baseball hat. What? what yes. where, where do your allegiances lie? My allegiances lie, you know, it's, I, I, I'm kind of an NBA, like, polyglot. Like, I'm, I'm like, I kind of like just, like, the, where the best game is. Like, if, if you know, I'm, I'm really is – is, I'm going to sound like uh, the, the basketball version of that Rob Lowe meme and the NFL hat. <laughs> Um, but honestly, like that, if that, like, that hat gets talked about a shocking amount on this it podcast. Does, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, we, it, it comes up often between us. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you know, honestly, I if there's a game on, I'll watch it. I, I, I'm that because to me, it's like the best athletes in the world, and mm-hmm. just going at it. Um, but you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of partial to the 76ers because my last dalliance with being an NBA. Uh, oh, there we go with being oh, an NBA with. Yeah. I'm wearing NBA a Sixer fan. shirt right now. For the listener, I I stood up and started pointing yeah. at my chest. Yeah, yeah, um, I saw it. I don't know why you had to qualify. And then he started telling his nipples. Was a telling bit, the listener, so yeah. I, I was going to leave that out, but you did touch your nipples. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I have large it's, nipples, it's, so if I'm pointing at my chest, I'm likely pointing at my nipples. Yeah. It, well, it's it's yeah. I, I'm I'm still here and I'm not blanching. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know I so yeah when the last time I was sort of. You know, last time I really followed an NBA team was the 76ers um, when I lived outside of Philadelphia. And I don't know. I just kind of got swept into the process for better or for worse. And, um, yeah, I just kind of uh, – I got I got in on, on – I got in on that team on the ground floor. And I've sort of been following them, you know, a little bit at a time. And, yeah, I love Joel Embiid. Um, you know, I think he's – I think he's a, he, I, probably one of my – he's probably my favorite player. Uh, and yeah, and I think, and I'll, but it's funny, I kind of got into the Sixer because A, it was the basketball that was on my cable system. And B, I thought the Sixers broadcasting was great. The local broadcasting was really, oh, really good. Mark Zumoff is a legend. Uh, retired yeah. this year, sadly, yep. but yeah. yeah. So Long it was Zumoff, yeah. it was Zumoff, Malik Rose, and Molly mm-hmm. Sullivan. And I thought they were just, um, they were a great, uh, gr- a great broadcast team. So that's kind of what made me stick around. Um, Molly Sullivan was great, and she eventually got replaced. Correct? Yeah, she got. Do you have any insight into why she was replaced? That is a really good question. I don't know because I loved Molly Sullivan. Yeah, and I thought thought she was she was great because she always would. This is something that you don't see enough with TV reporters. I don't know if you guys have noticed this on whatever broadcast, but so few TV people ask so many. I'm sorry, too many of them. I should say ask questions that can be answered with yes or no mm-hmm. like it's 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 really it's almost an it's almost a uh, it's almost a me it's a almost a disorder um but molly sullivan never asked that kind of question it was always a question that that a person no matter who it was had to explain and i thought man this is someone who gets it so yeah she was great i don't know i think she, she was like a because it was a cost cutting measure and yeah now she's from last time i know i, I heard of her because her facebook friends oddly enough <laughs> she's in Vegas, and she's, I think, working in communications for some sort of county department, which is a oh, shame, wow. but she's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's great. I can't recall who the woman that replaced her is, but she's also good. But I guess was just oh, is she? Cheaper, okay. uh, cheaper at the time, I suppose, because Molly was just more of a veteran. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, don't, I also don't know what the dynamic was between Zoom off Malik Rose and Molly Sullivan. That could have been something. I don't know. But it was I remember she talked about with it with um, she talked about being she talked about being let go with um, Richard Deich, who's now at The Athletic. He had a podcast and she she didn't really allude to, to there being any any disagreements. It was just sort of a, a, a blow. Like she just was, was called in the office one day and was just replaced. And I was stunned because I thought, because, you know, I thought like this is somebody who could do, I thought she was great and she had done national work and I don't know. It's, it's a crazy business. Now you said that you were in on the process team from like the ground floor, just by yes. of watching. Um, at what point did you believe with all your heart that Tony Roten was going to be a hall of fame player? <laughs> my money was on, was on, was on, um, my money was on um, uh, Spencer Hawes. I thought Spencer Hawes was going to be the was going to be the next Wes Unsell, and I just okay. I lost. It turns out he became the next Richard Spencer. Now, yeah. Yes. Now I will. I will speak now. I was going to let you guys get your shit off. Come on, bros. Come on. I, I love big men who average five rebounds a game. That's my weakness. It's it's just it's 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 hard to rebound. It is actually. It is hard to rebound. I I don't know. I. <laughs> you know what's funny with that team? This is going to sound really like really um, racist. Old man, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> old man in his arm in his armchair. But I love that the team. Play I love the way the team played under Brett Brown. I love. I they they never. They were always. They they were hardworking. They never. They never seemed to let off. Let, they never seemed to let go. Let off the gas at any point. And they were. It was just. It, it was just they were just it was just a fun team to watch because they just they always I always felt they were in a game even when they were just completely getting blown out and I you know part of it too was just it's also nice to be on something on the ground floor I don't know it's it's it, maybe it's why I'm a Mets fan because like you're in on the ground floor and there's no some there's some what people. year <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. say you're <laughs> never year left the ground year. floor since 1986 <laughs> exactly it's been it, every every year it's just it's like the first day of school just you know you're just you're just gonna get your ass kicked and you're gonna wonder what the hell's going on yeah but i it, but yeah there were a lot of players oh man ish smith and tony roten and jason richardson it's just like a rogues gallery of players uh, on those teams and that was part of the fun of it but yeah, I um, yeah, I, I still have a, a soft spot for the 76ers. Though I, I wouldn't say I'm like a process believer or a process, you know, like advocate. I'm just somebody who just like watching the team play. I I believe uh, that we never, and this I'm saying this is someone who like was kind of neither heavily critical nor heavily in favor of the process. But like I believe that we never really got to see the end of the process because of yeah, I agree. Sam Hickey's ousting. And then mm -hmm. uh, a Colangelo coming in and just like blowing oh, up crazy. everything he tried to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like we don't know if the process would have worked. That's. I mean, what yeah. do you? It might have ended the world. That could have also been a possibility, and I'm open to it. <laughs> you what? I don't want to know what the original process was supposed to be. I, I, it's a good. I don't know. It's it's funny. I read um, I read Yaron Weissman's book about that, which is great, and it's just it's. I'm kind of glad the process didn't, get, didn't didn't reach fruition. I think you're right. I think I think we I think it would have been like just we would have entered into chaos and the world would have folded into itself and we'd be thrown into some sort of weird matrix kind of. Uh, I just finished Loki, bro. Don't talk to me about what the process is supposed to be. How is Loki? I haven't seen it yet. I'm. I'm I mean, if you oh, want to be mad as hell, 
if you want to watch something, yeah, and you're like, all right, if you want to have a, a somewhat good time that will end with you being upset, Loki's for you. Oh, thank you. That's a ringing endorsement. I'll yeah. <laughs> it's great just to hear like Owen Wilson like talk in his like laid back Texan accent about like, wow, Loki, you, you folded in time and space on itself. Like he's just kind of like, he doesn't belong there and yet he does. He's perfect. What's Loki? You're a variant. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to ask you wow. what's what's the what's the what's the wow um, figure uh, or, or or number with Owen Wilson in that series? It's Is pretty it like high. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's high in the pilot. Yeah, you get a but... few. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a good. Wow. Yeah. You're a smart guy, Loki. Wow. Hard hard to believe he was he was uh, in Wes Anderson's early days like that continues to blow my mind that like they did bottle rocket he co-wrote and, bottle you know, rocket yeah he co-wrote Bo- and yeah. also i think he co-wrote rushmore didn't he i think so yeah and rural tenenbaums and, as well yeah so i mean but and then it's it's so funny how like you know wes uh wes anderson still makes these you know indie darling films and now you know owen wilson is part of the marvel marvel tv and cinematic universe it's great it's uh wow it's crazy <laughs> Well, Pete, uh, I'm looking over your shoulder. I'm seeing your book expertly placed right there on your yes. shelf. Tell us a little bit yes. about From Hang Time to Prime Time. Yeah, basically the book covers the years 1975 to 1989. And um, it uh, looks at how the NBA became a business and cultural behemoth. So it's it really kind of looks at the, um, I mean, it looks at some of the players like you know, Larry and Magic and Michael and Dr. J. But, but it also, it more it looks at more how, the MBA from the NBA um, from the business aspect of it from the uh, David Stern, Larry O'Brien, Rick Welts, you know, um, part of it. So yeah, it kind of looks at how you know uh, you know David Stern sort of took things over and turned the NBA into a business, or or had to think in a business mindset, and also looks at how sort of TV and cable kind of came together, become this sort to become sophisticated and uh, in covering the athletes, and yeah, kind of looks at how the NBA really really kind of mastered marketing and promotion to kind of build the NBA into this, into what we see today, this really star driven entertainment driven um, league. So yeah, it's, um, it's a book I think is really good, not only for current fans, uh, but also, well, for old school fans, but also for fans that, you know, are new, new to the game and maybe wonder, want to want are wondering, pardon me, how we got here. You know, the NBA wasn't always this big glittering behemoth, uh, there, it was, you know, for a lot of years of struggle and the book looks at how, looks at those years of struggle, looks at how it became sort of this legitimate enterprise and how it reached this, you know, this, these, the stratospheric heights in terms of being this, um, you know, worldwide entertainment property. So, yeah, it's uh, I think it's a great book and, you know, I've, um, I love writing it and hope you all enjoy reading it. No spoilers, but how did it happen? <laughs> how did it happen? That's that's a good question. I mean, I think it happened over it happened over a long time. But the first step to me, the first step in my opinion, was that the NBA decided to hire Larry O'Brien um, as the commissioner, NBA commissioner in 1975. Um, now, Larry O'Brien, for those who don't know, before he became the NBA commissioner and had the finals, uh, cha- the championship trophy named after him. Larry O'Brien was sort of was a big deal in democratic politics. He was a member of LBJ's cabinet. He was part of JFK's inner circle. Uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, he basically helped JFK become president for, for you know, for better or for worse. So Larry O'Brien by, 19, in the, by the early 1970s was sort of, 
you know, he'd become long in the tooth. He, you know, the, the politics were sort of now about revolution and youngsters. And Larry Brown was this guy in his 40s, early 50s, who really was, you know, maybe has seen better days. So the, the, so the, the NBA was looking for somebody to take over for J. Walter Kennedy, who was the former commissioner who was leaving and had really, you know, had really uh, become... Any relation to the other Kennedy already mentioned? No. Okay, got it. No, no. Not, yeah, not, not related to the Kennedy clan of, of New England. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> pardon me. So, yeah, so J., so J. Walter Kennedy asked Larry O'Brien to become, if he wanted the commissioner role. And after a lot of bargaining, a lot of pleading from the, from the owners, from the commissioner himself, Larry O'Brien gets named commissioner in 75. And that starts the process, the, the process that we see today for two reasons. First, Larry O'Brien was a major league celebrity. It does, I mean, many people don't know who he is, but at the time, he was, as Pat Williams, the GM of the 76ers, told me, he was a big, Larry O'Brien was a big deal. And the NBA needed somebody who was going to make the casual sports fan sit up and take notice. Like, oh, wow, the NBA got Larry O'Brien to be their commission. Holy cow. Like, that's the good news that the NBA needs because the NBA at that time was struggling. Let me ask the second a, thing. Uh, is, yeah. So, like, what? I would never, I would never today would I ever be like, oh, Adam Silver is the commissioner of yeah, the NBA? I'm going to tune exactly. in. But like back then, was this like Vince McMahon being the commissioner of the WWE? Like, is, yeah, was he like, it kind of was. Yeah. yeah, because again, you know, the NBA, remember, you know, the NBA was, the NBA didn't really have a, a, a terrific television deal. In fact, in 1978, the NBA was, it was um, uh, this close. Like it was a breath away from not having a television contract with any of the big three networks. So getting, so actually, so yeah, Larry O'Brien becoming NBA commissioner was the headline. Like, not, I mean, not the NBA, the NBA itself really wasn't making, really wasn't making hay. But, but, um, but Larry O'Brien getting the commissioner role was a big, I mean, it was a huge, it was big, it was big news because it was somebody from the national sphere entering into, into, into the sports world. I think a better example, a good example of that would be, let's see, if, a good example of that would be, let's say, if the National Lacrosse League hired Al Gore as its commissioner. It's kind of like – Finally. It, exactly. <laughs> about, about damn time. It's that same sort of like, whoa, like now we're, take, now we're, now we're noticing this. You put it like that, so, I would probably watch – some some games wouldn't you? I would, I would probably tune in with the cross league. What the fuck? Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> it's just an example. I hope it happens too, but it's just theoretical. Yeah. Uh, so with but so Larry O'Brien becomes the commissioner, and the other thing that he does, which I think doesn't get talked about enough, is that he hires David Stern full time to work for the NBA. Right. Well, David now Stern, I want to ask yeah. you a question about that. Cause yeah, in your, in, in your book, uh, I haven't had a time to read the whole thing, but I, I have been reading it and it's very good. Uh, Thank but you. The, the intro opens up with a, a kind of a, a, uh, anecdote about Derek Fisher, mm-hmm. uh, performing on dancing with the stars. Right. And you kind of trace that, like that would not be possible 20, 30 years ago. And he traces mm-hmm. the fact that it's possible today. Uh, all the way back to the 1983 All Star Game, yeah, when Marvin Gaye uh, performed the 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 national anthem in kind of a, a sexy, smooth kind of way that, yeah, at the time seemed like almost incendiary and countercultural, and you frame it almost as like it's an intentional choice by David Stern to ally him align himself with these kind of mm-hmm. uh, outsider cultural things in order to kind of cultivate a unique culture 
uh, unique to NBA and black culture and, and to mm-hmm. help make it take it mainstream. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, only a short 15 to 20 years later, David Stern was kind of seen as a villain that was like yes. squashing black mm-hmm. culture within the league. How did that happen? That's a really good question. And that's something that, you know, if I had another hundred pages, I would have explored that. And that uh, might be. I have the answer. Okay. Let too many black people in. <laughs> Got afraid. <laughs> Next topic. I, well, I think, I mean, I think if we're, if we're just, that's, that's, that's actually a pretty, a really good answer. And I think, but I think a big part of it was, you know, I think when you get older and I've, I've seen this myself, we, we, it's very easy to become dismissive or afraid of cultural movements that you don't understand. And I really, I don't think David Stern understood black culture. I mean, this, I mean, when this, when Marvin Gaye's anthem happened, David Stern didn't understand black culture. There you go. So, yeah. So I think he was, I think he was, you know, we get older, we, we are not only, don't understand cultural trends as, as well, but we can be just, we're, we're dismissive of them. And I think that that was David's, that was David Stern's, um, that was David, that was David Stern's um, problem or condition or whatever you want to call it. And the other thing too, is I think at that point, I think David Stern thought that he was, he was, you know, the man in charge and could just sort of swoop in and just say, well, no, we're not doing this. And, you know, that's not possible when you have, when not only is, 85% of your league's players African-American, but also a g- gigantic um, portion of your fan base embraces hip hop culture and loves it. And, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't dismiss some, you can't, em- you can't want, you can't embrace the youth and want them to take in your product and watch your games and then push them off with the other arm. You can't do that. And I think David Stern learned that the hard way. You know, it's just you, you can't you can't be a cool hip league and then suddenly say, no, 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 we're not doing this. We want everyone dressed in suits and and doing things, you know, the way that it was done back in my day. You can't do that. You have to be you have to be fluid. And I think as time went on, David Stern, like a lot of us, wasn't fluid, didn't want to change, didn't want to adapt, didn't want to change with the times. And you know, I think that's that's maybe a convoluted answer uh, to what Jamel just said. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how I look at it. I'm, Speaking well, I'm of like, you, oh, go on. You know, I'm glad we all figured it out together. <laughs> <laughs> We're learning. We're all learning. That's good. We talked about like different timelines happening. Uh, yeah. There's a whole. I I just wonder what the world would look like if David Stern uh, hadn't basically sued Allen Iverson, preventing him from releasing his rap record. <laughs> like the world is missing. Like there's an entire Allen Iverson hip hop album that we have never heard. Allen Iverson leaves the NBA sooner. You think? Probably. Yeah. There's no Grizzlies. There's no weird Pistons run. I think he gets to Denver. Him and J.R. Smith are making songs immediately. <laughs> He's working on his follow-up album, and he just goes nuts. Well, he does. I mean, he does have that. I think, if memory serves, there's a thir- there's 30 million, I think, from Reebok waiting for him in some sort of delayed um endorsement deal right so it's very easy for yeah i mean there is if, if ai had a little bit more patience with with his spending he probably could have gone uh he got a, probably could have entered the hip-hop game a little sooner he but, yeah. uh he i think he had signed a lifetime deal with them yes and mm-hmm. then because of reebok's financial woes 
uh, they ended up kind of negotiating that kind of, well, we'll just give you $30 million when you turn 60 or whatever. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's like one of those old school ABA contracts where it's, you know, where it's sort of like, you know, you get paid, you know, it's like a 35 year deal or something, but yeah, that sounds about right. I think it's in Kent Babb's really good book, a really good, uh, I was in biography. He writes about that, uh, Reebok deal. So yeah, I mean, there's not a game. Is that the book? Yeah. It's a great book. That's a great book. After you read my book, read Kent, Kent Babb's book. Um, (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I want to get I'm back not, to no, real fast. Hold on. Go what on. is uh, what is the Kevin Bacon six degrees separation of Larry O'Brien to Jeffrey Epstein? Let's talk about that. How do we get to <laughs> oh, where do we get into Jeffrey Epstein and the growth of the NBA? I mean, he must have been somewhere. Chris Tucker was there. I mean, you know, some NBA guys was there. Is it, is it just? Yeah. Is it just Leon Black? Is it just Paul Allen? Is it just Josh <laughs> Harris? I mean, you know, it, it's funny the own, the ownership. Yeah, it, it's it's funny the the book kind of looks at the it's it's so funny. Like I I don't I'm not a fan of the of the concept of a of a, of a simpler time in in history. I think it's it's kind of bullshit to be like oh it was a simpler time, but like when you look at the NBA and the ownership and all the all the entities that are involved in it now compared to back in the eighties, it's, it's bananas. Like didn't Henry Abbott did a, do a whole thing. I'm trying to remember what it was, but again, true hoop, he wrote a whole thing about like the whole Epstein connection with the owner, with the NBA. And it's just, it's, it's, it's bananas. It's it bananas seems ominous. Now. It seems ominous, but also like, it's not good. Not ideal. I mean, I guess when things get, there has to be a point like when the NBA becomes like, is there like a, is there a, a year or a turning point or is it just literally like the rise of David Stern himself? Like, where is the point where it I goes think, from yeah. kind of trying league to, yay, we've got magic and Larry to like, all right, we are full corporate. Like, that's a great question. Funds, that's a, like, that's a great money. question. And that's, and that's the thing with this book is that the book kind of, tr- I've used this term in other interviews and, and, and sort of, you know, talking about the book is this really was the last simple time for the NBA. Like this was like the, there and the point of the, and David Stern does set that process of like going from, we're a plucky league where we're going to try and just get people interested in the game to like it being a major league corp, a major league of giant business. And with a business there's, there's shades of gray and there, there's, you know, not so great behavior and a shit ton of money. What's that crossing point? Well, I think there are a couple of, couple of, of signs. The first is, I think, um, I, I think the first sign is the NBA's contract with, with NBC, which is for six hundred million dollars in '89. That's when it that's when it officially becomes a business, in my opinion. That's when the NBA stops becoming like the scrappy kid on the block and becomes a major league a major league player with money and things to lose, and the innocence is, is sort of is sort of is sort of off the um, the enterprise. The other thing is the dream team. Because the dream team was just, I mean, that showed the worldwide power of 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 this, you know, of 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 the NBA. And the other thing too is that, I mean, as you guys fully know, because you're smart dudes, like this wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, it just happened organically. Oh, everything. No, it was just, it was, you know, it was a corporate, it was all corporate synergistic marketing, um, uh, uh, wheeling and dealing. Like, and that's, and that, so I think, I think when those two things happen. It's it's just it's the, the Pandora's box is open and the NBA is is not going to be 
this, you know, scrappy um, little engine that could. It, it just, you know, I think by 91, it's it, 91, 92, it's over. And it's just, you know, and that's when the, the Epstein connections start and the billionaires come into play and all that. So stuff. really you're saying the Bill Clinton era is when <laughs> things got corporate for the NBA. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's look, these, nothing happens overnight. And I think if you look at if you look at any at anything, things, you know, things take time. And with the NBA was, a, in my opinion, it was a 14 year um, it was a 14 year journey to get from middling success to the doorstep of um, of worldwide uh, of a world of worldwide dominance, I suppose. And then after that, it just skyrockets because, you know, it's it's you know, the, the money gets bigger and. When you have more money, you every you know you you can't be innocent anymore. You know it's just especially when, especially when you're like David Stern, when you want the world to enjoy your product or to or to appreciate your product, you, you can't you know you you can't you it can't be after that like simplicity's out the window. Innis, you know that's out the window for sure. Talk about uh, David Stern and the NBA kind of aligning themselves with uh, cultural icons or brands or, or, thing, or things like that, uh, financial institutions or whatever to help its growth, uh, media conglomerates. Mm -hmm. Is there anything um, like surprising or, or, or people wouldn't know about? Like I think about how um, the NFL is paid millions of dollars by the U.S. military to, in mm -hmm. order to have a military yeah military presence on the field that have jets fly over and mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. Is there anything yeah. like that for the NBA where like, it would be like, Oh, a lot of people don't know that uh, this X brand or X company is paying the NBA millions of dollars. I don't know if, I don't think I'm, I'm trying to think in my research. I mean, I talked over 300 people for this book. I don't really, I didn't really come across any kind of smoking gun like that, but with David Stern, everything was an opportunity. Everything was, could be leveraged into you know into into money into marketing that's just how we thought and but i don't i didn't see anything and you know maybe it's lack of lack of research or ran out of time or poor reporting shoot you know pick your poison but i didn't see anything that made me think holy shit like this is this is like a real a real Sounds like a cover up i with davis yeah yeah i didn't see anything i didn't see anything like that what i did see was somebody who was just relentless in leveraging and turning the nba into a brand and just anything that, and there was, there was an opportunity to, um, wherever there's an opportunity to make a dollar, David Stern was on it. And that's, and that's, if you're a businessman, like that's sort of the logic that you need. And he saw himself as a businessman. I mean, <clears throat> with, um, I'm trying to think of an example here. He, you know, the, the good, the best example of, um, you know, he want, I mean, David Stern wanted to be Disney. That, and he said that point blank, like we're Disney, we're Disney, we're, we want to be the Disney of sports. And, you know, and I think with that comes, comes a sophistication and comes a, um, uh, comes a calculation that is not associated with, um, you know, that is not associated with, uh, with, you know, regular mom and pop uh, businesses. Um, but I mean, I didn't see any, but I didn't see anything in my research and my report that maybe maybe take notice of like, oh, geez, like this is a really bad arrangement. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do think, you know, I do think that, that later on, that's, you know, I'm sure we're seeing that now. But when I during that period, it wasn't that I don't think there was that 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 kind of uh, finagling. But I could be how wrong. close. Hey, how close did he get to um, 
incorporating magical frogs. <laughs> <laughs> what I miss? I, I'm. I'll be. I'll be completely honest. As a reference, the way Disney. Of, the oh, Disney. Oh, the, the, the Disney. <laughs> he wanted frogs to be refs and to have everybody <laughs> dance. But that's. But seriously, that's what. That's what he wanted. He wanted, he wanted, like, he wanted every, if you go to an NBA game now, which I, mean, I haven't been to one in a while because, you know, where we are now, but like every part of it is, is an entertainment, like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a spectacle. And that's the thing. Like, that's, you know, that's great if you're nine years old, but if you're 44, like I am, that's not so great, but yeah, I, he probably would have done that. You know, it's, it's surprising. You know what's surprising to me is that, Remember a few years, this is years ago, I might be taxing you guys' memory, but do you remember when baseball, when Major League Baseball got into real problems because they put the Spider-Man 2 ads on the bases or Spider-Man 3? Do you remember this? No. What? No. Yeah, they did this. Yeah. Seriously, look this up. I think in 2007, Major League Baseball, like around the around the edge of the bases, put ads for Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3, I think it was. And people went ballistic. They went ballistic about this, um, but yeah, but but David's but if David Stern had done that, the NBA would have been like it would have been no problem. Like look at the look at these these awful like movie cross promotions they had during NBA Finals. I mean that's I mean if the magical frog if the, if the frogs refing isn't happening like it will soon because like you see because that cro- that cross promotional thing is the next best the next best. Thing. Well, we watched the uh, the Avengers uh, NBA like crossover this season right what there was the game yeah. where they were like projecting yeah. holograms oh, of yeah. spider-man onto the rim right but, it's happening already look it, it's it's yeah i mean you're right i mean at some point you know you're you're probably gonna see like i'm trying to think who's you're probably gonna see like cinderella like do the jump ball or um i don't know maybe you will but yeah it's yeah it's all there's no yeah there's no innocence to this anymore. Yeah. There's no, there, it's just, it's a bit, it's a giant, giant entertainment business. And I don't know, some people like it. Some people don't like it. I just use a concentrate on the games and, you know, to see Joel and B take a three pointer. So. Hey, Jamal, speaking of uh, uh, magical frogs, do you think Contavious Caldwell Pope is Mr. Toad for Mr. Toad's wild ride? Well, I mean, he's got the DUIs. Exactly. To support it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wasn't he playing? Wasn't he playing like part while like while serving jail time? Was there was some? Yeah. I remember, he couldn't yeah. leave the state. He had a. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Ankle monitor, ankle monitor. The whole deal. Yeah, but he could not travel with the team. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. No, it's. Yeah, I don't know. That's um. Yeah, that's the thing about this game that I still love is just the person. It's just the stories and the and the players and the personalities and it's oh, it's the best. That's that stuff. So it's 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 fascinating. To me. I'll never to me. It, that's that's the part that I like. I like all that drama and all those storylines and you know um, was it Kevin Porter Jr. punching out a dude in the in the locker room because he stole his locker or something like that stuff is just that that backstory just makes the makes the NBA great to me because like you don't see that anywhere else. You don't, I don't, I don't, I, not that I've seen, so. You don't hear about it either. I think the NBA, uh, because it wants to market itself as the Disney, it is invested in, in kind of selling its players as characters and you get to know them more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There's fewer players. You see their face all, all game. Like it's just, it's easier to get invested in the storylines than I think any other sport. I don't know what's happening Definitely. in hockey. No, I think also the players are really good with social media. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it too. I think, you know, I mean, it's, 
Kevin Durant's Twitter feed is is Art. just all over the place. Yeah, it's great. And you know, and so there's that, and there's Instagram, which I'm not as big a fan of, but whatever. So I think there's also I think also too is the NBA has a really good media policy. So like a lot of you know, so there's always so the the media is able to roam pretty freely. Like, look, I mean, I'm just a meatball with a computer and an, and an internet connection, and I, I you know, Team PR people are really really approachable like i've tried baseball and football it's like trying to secure an interview with the president it's just it's it's nuts but the nba has, is, has always been really um really approachable and really open to media coverage and i think there's good and bad with that well uh should we move on to some uh some uh some current basketball news guys no speaking of basketball is business steve Ballmer. <laughs> And the Los Angeles Clippers broke ground on the new uh, arena in Inglewood, California this weekend and invited uh, Los Angeles' premier bar and bat mitzvah band to play. <laughs> Have you guys seen the video? We've all seen the video. I did. Why? Uh, Why? I, I think the Clippers as an organization just get the little details wrong across the board. Like, yeah, the little detail like change your name. You're moving to Inglewood. Change your name. What are you holding on to? South Bay Clippers. That's a Donald Sterling move, hiring the premier bar mitzvah band. Like that's a that's a straight up Donald Sterling move. His legacy lives on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Well, I thought you know it's funny. I thought so. Was that? I honestly thought I saw the clip. I thought that was fits in the tantrums, and I mean it looked like them. But it, it was a legit like bar mitzvah party band that was there. Oh, maybe it was Fitz in the Tantrums, but yeah, I think it was Fitz in the Tantrums. I don't know I'm who sure that is, but uh, bar yeah, mitzvahs, you know? um, Fitz, yeah, I mean, they, they've had a couple of really good albums in the beginning, like, you know, I guess 2009, 2010. They've, they've had a few hits, but like, I, I'm, I think that's Fitz in the Tantrums, and like, they've done like stuff for like sound, they've done soundtracks and. The first album, Pick Up the Pieces, is really good. I, really, really I, good. I think the name is familiar to me. I'm not, I, I but I think, uh, even does Paul still George stands. and Kawhi know that? Yeah, exactly. It stands, it's, it still stands. Like, uh, Paul George and yeah, Kawhi exactly. Leonard, clearly, you see in the video well, that they just, do not enjoy they what's have happening. to be there. Yeah. But it's like you're moving to Inglewood. Like, you, you claim to like be the team from 213. Like, kind of, you're yeah. moving to South LA. Get a fucking rapper. Like, what are you doing? That's what I don't get. That's what I didn't get is that like the NBA is such a like hip rap league. Like just, yeah. I mean, there you you can't find somebody, especially in LA, to to do that. I don't know. Well, everybody was on the way to the Rams game. That's a good point. <laughs> but I think it goes like, uh, uh, Pete. I don't know if you if you've been out to LA or if you've attended Lakers or um, or Clippers games. Uh, but if you do, mm-hmm. uh. And Peter and Jamal, you guys agree with me. Like, it's just so much better at the Lakers games, right? Even though it's the same stadium, it's not even close. I, you know, yeah, it's just the presentation one- is so much better. The like the in arena stuff well, is like so much more. Well, comp- I like how fucked up Clippers stuff is. <laughs> I told you I seen somebody. Yeah, leave but you're the a stadium. sick motherfucker. Yeah, somebody left the stadium with a gun and a backpack. <laughs> I like that. I've been to one Lakers game, um, like I think in 2015. I haven't, I haven't gone to a Clippers game, so I can't comment on the dynamics. But to me, like if you're, if you're, 
for the Clippers if your biggest, if your most popular fan is like Billy Crystal, like that kind yeah. of that says everything you need. To Do you know. remember like mid two thousands when someone invented the pop up ad? on the on the internet and just like it felt like every website you went to just had a thousand pop-up ads with gifts flashing bright colors at you and like it just was like sensory overload that's kind of a clippers game like every time <laughs> the whistle blows they bring out 120 people onto the court to dance and shoot t-shirts into the crowd and dunk basketballs and play loud they play LMFAO 40 times a game <laughs> oh, God. and it's just so loud and annoying and it kind of in a way like takes away from the actual because you're just like it's like it's every stoppage of play late stage it's really like david stern's version of late stage capitalism to be honest it's like this is as far as we can possibly go with nba entertainment not being about the game yeah they should have obama should have brought lmfao to the uh to the was it the 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 groundbreaking yeah would have been, <laughs> been a better option i think at least a little more like at least the players will recognize the music because they hear it in their own arena a hundred times a game <laughs> <laughs> i with watching that the, the best part of that clip is paul george and kawhi leonard because they look like they just would rather be anywhere else they look like they're waiting for a bus it's just so it's just so disheartening yeah i feel i feel so bad for those guys yeah like it, it truly um they truly did not want to be there yeah, that's okay. Uh, yeah. Balmer also promised that uh, $80 million uh, in conjunction with the construction of this arena will go to building uh, affordable housing for uh, displaced people uh, in, in the area that, that he's single-handedly, I guess uh, double-handedly along with the LA Rams, gentrifying uh do you think they'll ever see that $80 million? And how affordable <laughs> will the housing actually be, if so? Yeah, they're going to build a three-level Starbucks and say everybody can live around this. Yeah, you could just come in here. You can pee here, which is technically a living space. And work there. You know. Yeah, Yeah, you could work there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Run the Starbucks. It's yours. <laughs> uh, how, I was going to ask you, how is, what is, what is the... I'm curious, like what is, I mean, I'm thousands of miles away from here, but what is the, what is the local reaction, I guess, to this arena? And I guess the Rams new behemoth, like what's, what's, what's been the the tone there? I mean, Benner, we can't, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Oh no, Mike, I can't hear you. No, Benner. Uh, he's probably going to say something mad socialist, uh, you know, da, 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 <laughs> eat the rich. Fire all the white people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, make everybody's ass. Everybody should get Brazilian butt lifts. What else did Benner say? Right there, Peter. Um, probably something about Ben Simmons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, get Ben Simmons. Yeah, gentrification is just like watching Ben Simmons. And uh, um, something about how he wants and, this pod to be bad, but also grow. And let's see. And... <laughs> Uh, TJ I mean, McConnell's honestly, not good at basketball. He yeah, might have that in. Yeah, even though he gets like nine assists in a game, he still would, you know. I mean, the vibe is like the Clippers should have changed their name. And like I say that yeah. not to be redundant, but like, like they're always going to be the little brother. Mm-hmm. And like, I think the closest people got to an existential crisis was when 
they made it to the Western Conference Finals, and there was like, okay, this could happen. Yeah, it's like this could be a thing because that would really disrupt. Speaking of like the timeline, mm-hmm. the secret timeline, like Clippers going to the finals, just like. I'm more afraid about how Lakers fans react to the Clippers than necessarily like the Lakers reacting to the Lakers or the, or anything else. It's like they have to stay down. Otherwise, like none of this makes sense anymore. Yeah. I I don't understand why. I mean, again, this is Donald's, this is uh, Donald Sterling's um, uh, decision, but like, there's no, I don't, I don't know if you can have two, Los Angeles basketball teams. I mean, the Lakers are just are just this dynasty, and I don't know. You're always going to be se- you're always going to be the sec the the second uh, the the redheaded stepchild if in in you know as the Clippers. And I agree with you. Like, change the name, get a fresh start. Because also that name is associated with one of the one of the most racist, <laughs> cheapest owners in Amer- in American sports. So like, wouldn't Not you want that clean break? Yeah, just straight up failure. Yeah, exactly. It might as well, like, it would be worse if it wouldn't, if they were called the Los Angeles losers, I'd be like, at least there's alliteration. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, that's catchy. Yeah, I like it. And, and, you know, hipsters could wear, like, the t-shirts ironically. Like, that's kind of cool. I mean, that could work. And it's just, Um, like, reverse Laker font. It'd be great. Exactly, yeah. everyone, Everyone wins. In case we've lost Benner to just the doldrums of socialist Los Angeles politics, Jamel, why don't you just appraise, uh, apprise us and let us know, let's just like lay the land for the WNBA playoffs in the final week here. Like, What's the landscape looking like? What's the most exciting thing? Obviously, other than the Sparks and the Mystic, what's... Uh... And the Liberty. Uh, and the Liberty, but like not really the Liberty, right? No, everybody's tied. It's all it's all comes down to today, and they're all playing teams that have playoff spots locked. It's pretty fucked up. <laughs> so it's just about who basically cares the least of who they're playing. Yeah, and Minnesota cares the most because we got rid of Ariel Powers, who she says fraudulently got rid of her. You know how players feel getting uh, let go by teams. And she's taking it very personally. Constantly. I know. It's, uh, it's it like happens. great players getting cut all the time. Halfway through the year, every year. So I don't understand, but whatever. So, you know, they're out for blood and that's fine. Where it's, it's coming down to the wire. Let me ask you this, Pete. Yeah. Put your David Stern hat on. How <laughs> does the WNBA get to the next level of stuff? Like they're, they're yeah. they figured out the merch, which is mm-hmm. the thing. Yeah. That I don't think the NBA had to figure out a merch issue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. People were just so happy to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't really matter, especially at that time, like 80s and 90s. We mm-hmm. weren't thinking about hoodies. Yeah. But they got this in their hat, is that mm-hmm. they, they got the good merch now. And they do. People see the product a little more. But mm-hmm. what's next? How do you take it? How do you get us to China? That's probably that's you're probably more equipped to answer that question than to answer that question than I. Um, but I will say that I think this is going to sound very superficial, but I think the WNBA needs to needs to make a big splashy hire at at the commissioner level. Like for years they had, you know, they had Donna Orender and they had Val Ackerman. They had they kind of from my understanding the commissioner was hired sort of within the NBA family. I think it'd be remarkable if they hired somebody who would make headlines, who would get people like more, get the casual fans more into the WNBA. 
Um, and the other thing that I think too is, you know, I don't think this this may sound. I thought about this a lot because people have asked me about the WNBA, which which I enjoy watching. I kind of think that the WNBA would work better, or or would have more viewers, I should say. I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this. If it worked along, if it if its schedule was along, was if if it was scheduled along NBA games. So, for example, there be like the the WNBA season would 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 be would would be would go along with the NBA season. And there and there'd be off days with the where you just have WNBA. You're games, saying like NBA the Globetrotters used games. to do with the NBA. And I think where you're like double. No, 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 not not. Yeah, not. I wouldn't do the double header because I think that I think that belittles the the product. And it's and WNBA is a great product. Just give them days where it's the, where just give them days during the give the WNBA WNBA days during the week where it's just WNBA games and games that are NBA games. So that way the coverage is throughout the is throughout the is throughout the year. Plus, it's better for cross promotion. Because if you ha- if you're watching an NBA game on TNT or ESPN, it's easier to promote. You can promote those WNBA games. So if you so you can so I don't know, you can promote like I don't know the Pacers and Warriors. But then oh yeah, then tomorrow we have, you know we have um, you know the Sparks and the Sun. You know it's I think it's easier to it's it's better from a from a promotional standpoint and I think from an audience standpoint. But you know again I there's a reason why I'm writing why I write basketball. I don't plot basketball scheduling because you know i'm not sure if that's a good idea but it's just something that i think would maybe generate generate a little bit more interest benner says hire ricky lake as the wnba commissioner he can't <laughs> see us but he did write that down and i love that idea <laughs> sounds very good not ricky lake I mean, I, I, ricky, I, I, richard lake rocks <laughs> how about Sally jesse Raphael? i mean she has the glasses she looks professorial yeah i i think you know i don't know there's to me like there, there needs i would i would want to get somebody who was known outside of basketball circles to be the commissioner um but that's you know that's just me but i i i don't know what do you think i mean it's been 20 who is the larry years. o'brien of right now is it like oh man yeah that's the thing al gore let's get al gore to be let's do al gore to do lacrosse and the wnba and we'll yeah. get him. We'll get him to the baseball commissioner because I don't. I hate Rob Manfred. So let's get. Let's get him first. Let's get him. Let's get him. Let's let's have a multitask. Silver Fox. Love it. I, don't I, know, I think you? you're right. I think yeah. you're right. I think they tried to do like, okay, uh, ladies, you can have the summer when when everybody's not thinking about basketball. Yeah. So probably running it at the same time would help. I mean, that's how it is at every other level of sport, mm-hmm. college, high school. Yeah. They run yeah. on concurring days. It's I I agree. Yeah, I just think the problem I think the summer is just too crowded because look, you have baseball season, so that's still a popular sport, obviously. You also have M- NFL preseason and also the hot the hot stove. Like that that takes up a lot of attention. So just I think it's just I think basketball sort of just works well in that time frame. And yeah, I don't know. Um, it, but, you know, that's the thing, I think. But you have to remember this. You have to remember this. The NBA just turned 70 is going to turn 75, allegedly, because, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> this is a long game. You know, the NBA really, you know, on the by the time when the NBA turned 35, it was still a struggling league. The WNBA just turned 25, I think. So it, it's it, there's it's still young. There's still a lot of it's still trying to gain gain a foothold. 
So it's still, it's doing well, but I think, I think it can be better. And I think you can do better in terms of uh, outreach and marketing and all that good stuff. Well, we'll see how the playoffs go this year. And I guess by the time we've heard this, you'll already know who's got the eighth seed. Um, all right, Pete, again, yeah. for people, where can people read your, where, where can people find Where's the, what, can, what's the most advantageous way for you for people to find your book? Well, thank you for asking. There, look, the the book can be found at pretty much any major online and brick and mortar retailer. So Amazon.com, uh, Bookshop. Uh, I prefer if you buy local. Um, so Bookshop um, is a great, great source. Uh, Amazon, if you're looking for something, if you're shot for cash, you can buy that. Also, you want to send Bezos to space again? I do. I mean, I, I really do think he become the next John Glenn. I have confidence. Hey, you know, maybe it's second time's the charm. So, <laughs> you know what? I, again, I, buddy. I, I really, you know what it is? I really feel like our billionaires don't get enough support. And so really, you know, they're, they're struggling so hard in this economy to just, you know, do their part. Um, no, if you, if you can buy local or indie, that'd be great. Specific, speaking of which, if you go to odysseybookstore.com, uh, you can, you can actually, um, order an autographed copy of my book. I'm working in conjunction with Odyssey Bookstore in Ithaca, New York. It's a great, great indie bookstore. Um, yeah. So if you call the store or go to odysseybookstore.com, O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y bookstore.com, you can buy an autographed copy. They'll mail it to you anywhere for an extra five bucks if you buy the book and you like it i hope you do you can also uh, reach out to me on social media for uh, a signed book plate i'm happy to mail them out anywhere uh send them to wales ireland uh sent one to south carolina another exotic to say, the most dangerous um, of all yeah, locations <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes gamecock country so yeah uh you know it's so you can pretty much buy it anywhere and again i'm, I'm thrilled to send a signed book plate and uh yeah, I'm, I'm easy to find on Twitter, Instagram, wherever. So Awesome. Well, Pete, yeah. thanks for joining us at Airboats Pod for everything. Jamel, you want to plug anything? Uh, Yeah, get the damn book. You're <laughs> Croato, guys. And uh, get our podcast here at airbuds.net. Airbuds.biz. All right, peace out. <laughs>